we working okay up here? Um, <clears throat> when I looked around, about half of you I know, which means about half of you I don't. Um, <laughs> Sherry and I moved here. We candidated here best we can figure in March or April of 1986. And Sherry said last night we moved from PA to here in the Sunday after Mother's Day in 1986. And then we were here 12 years, um, which means we left in 1998 which is kind of shocking. We visited here 34 years ago and left 22 years ago. So that's, uh, that is surprising to me. I think that I've spoken three times in the years intervening on the 25th anniversary of the church. I came and did a Sunday school class. And then either before Jason or uh, um, the previous pastor, I spoke once or twice. So uh, I've not seen many of you very much for a long time. I think of our present circumstances, who would have believed, uh, who could have dreamed what this year would be? Um, uh, when Jason uh, called me and I began thinking about this, this message and thinking of returning here again, um, I, I told you the years, how long it's been, but I also began uh, wondering about Bible characters that we met um, when they were young or younger and then we meet them or else we follow them again through life. Any of you tell me some Bible characters like that? We might meet them as a young man or even as a baby, but then we see them at least at the end of life, some of them in the middle. Anybody got a name? Moses. Moses. We met him. Actually, Moses is one we kind of follow through life. We, of course, meet him as a baby. We meet him as a young man when he's impetuous and kills the, the Egyptian. We meet him as a shepherd in the desert, and then we follow him right to the end of life. Somebody else? David. Um, I love David. I'm often confused why, how, how he's a man after God's own heart when you read his life and you, you follow his exploits, but I'm encouraged that God would call him someone like that, a man after his own heart. Someone else? Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. I really do. Um, anybody else? Who? Samuel. Yep, we, we see him in the preborn state, don't we? We hear about him at least when Hannah and I forget dad uh, come to the, to the priest. Anybody else? Uh, I, just didn't, I didn't give it a lot of thought. I added, of course, John the Baptist, and we see him uh, as the baby. We, we meet him in the womb, and then we see him doing ministry and uh, follow him right to his death. The Apostle John, we meet him as a young man, and then we read the book of Revelation uh, when he's 90-ish years old or something like that. Uh, one of the interesting things to me is the variety of people. I mean, if we follow Joseph and Daniel, uh, we don't see the issues in their life. We don't see the sin in their life. We see, see them, the glimpses we get uh, as faithful people who follow God. Uh, Moses, uh, a little bit different. We see him disciplined by God, so he's not allowed to enter into the promised land. Remember that? We see him strike a rock instead of speaking to it like God told him to do. Uh, if we were looking at David, we see him commit adultery. We see him commit murder. We see the, some of the issues in his life, and yet he has the heart for God. I, I find the, the stories of people in the Bible, the ones we get to meet like that, a lot like us. Huh? There, are, there are some people, as far as we know, uh, from visit, what we see visibly, who live incredibly faithful lives. 
And there are some of us with questions. I think of John the Baptist. Uh, uh, he grows up in that home with at least his mom having the, the, the pre-knowledge that Jesus is the one. Remember, John the Baptist reacts, kicks in his mother's womb as a confirmation of who this is. Uh, but then we see him at some point in his ministry send word to Jesus, are you the one? So here's a man with all the evidence you could possibly have, but he's saying, are you really the one? I, I find myself there sometimes. Uh, so I like the stories we get to see in the Bible, and that has nothing to do with what I'm speaking about. It just made me think, <laughs> made me think of people who we meet young and get to, get to see them later on in life. I, I say that to, hoping that you are becoming, especially those of you, of you that I've known for a, a lot of years, I hope you're becoming the person God wants you to be, even in these very difficult times, that you've fully committed yourself to a relationship with him, that you are trying to love people like he wants you to love people, uh, that you're trying to live like he wants you to live, and, and that you're getting to know him and reaching people, even through extraordinarily difficult times. Um, difficult times are nothing new for the church. The, the first century church simply or certainly experienced great difficult times. I think I just reset my phone to do something, and now when I get a text message, I can't make it be quiet. Um, <laughs> um, I hope you're building the reputation of this church in Christ during these times. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. I want to look at a passage, and uh, I, I thought maybe this is the last time I ever speak here. What would I... What would I want to say to you is the most important thing that I could think about. And so I thought we would turn to what Jesus said is most important. Uh, we're going to look at what Jesus said about the greatest commandment and what he says about love. Matthew chapter 22 is, is where we'll be at. I had a great, one of the great lessons I had when I was here in Shelby. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a, a Christian home. I went to a great church. I grew up in a great church in Michigan. Um, went to a Christian college, and then for grad school, went to a, a, a school that was committed to the authority of the Bible, that it, if the Bible said it, we believed it to be true. Even if we didn't understand it, it became our, our mission to understand, not to question, is it true or not. So while I was here, I was asked to be on a committee, a community committee of some sort, and I don't, honestly don't remember what that was about, but it, it wasn't even in Shelby, it must have been Mansfield, and I was on some kind of panel to answer questions. And I don't remember what the question was. But my response was or would have been something like, well, the Bible says this about that issue. And there was another pastor who was on the, the panel with me. And again, this was a real eye-opening time and time of growth, growth for me. And she said, well, I don't agree with that. And she said, she said something like, and I want to read... Um, we can't just go by what the Bible says. We have to take in the human element and circumstances into account and remember that God is love and anything that has to do with love can't be wrong. So coming out of my background, growing up in a Christian home, uh, going to a, a Christian college, grad school, where the Bible, if the Bible said it, we would believe that it's true even if we don't understand it. Now to have someone and a pastor say something like that was real eye-opening and helped me realize there are a whole lot of people in churches all over Shelby, 
Hudson, where we live and wherever you're at, that are in churches that know nothing of the authority of the Bible. Um, uh, many people would love what this pad, the other pastor would have said. That God is love, and if he's involved in it somehow, then it, then it simply must be okay. We would be, believe that, that that is wrong. Now, I'm going to speak about love, and I'm going to speak about the priority that Jesus gave. And we can take love in a wrong way, and that certainly would be wrong. But let's read the Scripture and see what we're, we're looking at. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's first understand a little bit of the background. Where is he at? If we back up in our Bibles to chapter 19, and we're just going to skim here. Um, if you were in chapter 19, the very first verse, we begin with Jesus up in Galilee. And remember, the, the nation of Israel is kind of like a cigar. Way up in the north is Galilee. That's Jesus' home base. He spends most of his three years, most of his life, even the three years of ministry, most of it is spent way up here in the north. Um, we read about Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. That's home base. And he, he's throughout that region. The disciples, most of them, grew up in that area. So that's where it begins. But uh, we read this in 19, chapter 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished these say, when he had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judah to the other side of the Jordan. So he's up north. He travels 60 or 70 miles uh, south down toward Jerusalem. But remember, Jerusalem's a city in Judea. So he's gone to the, to the county of Judea at this time. And in fact, he's not even come into the the main part of Judea. He's across the Jordan River. He's on the other side. And some of the, uh, he does some work there. But if we turn over to chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took uh, the 12 aside. So remember, Jerusalem is at the top of a hill. He is down in Judah, and he's traveled back across the river. He's now on the, I guess that would be the west side of the Jordan now. And he's headed up, up to Jerusalem. I say this because if the Bible gives us this description of where he's going, maybe it's important that we understand the context of the passage we're in. He's come from Galilee to the other side of the Jordan. He's now crossed the Jordan. He's headed up toward Jerusalem. Chapter 21 begins this way. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. They're right outside of Jerusalem now. It's a spectacular sight. If you're there and you're looking at it, it's now the Dome of the Rock. You see uh, the wall that was built in, what, the 1500s or so. But you're looking at the Wailing Wall from the time of Jesus. You can see that. You see the Dome of the Rock. They're on the Mount of Olives. They're right there near Jerusalem. And when, when we come to verse 9, 21, 9, it says this, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed him. And it, it's the, the story of Palm Sunday. Jesus is now, when we come to chapter 22, Jesus is now in Jerusalem. Just a little bit more context for us, for us here, um, who he's going to deal with. Uh, verse 34 tells us, having heard that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, uh, 
And then he says he's particularly dealing with the Pharisees here. I don't know if, if, if I said this when I was here or if anyone could possibly remember it. Anyone know the difference, the big difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Oh. If I told you before, I'm disappointed now. That probably is true. I don't know that one, Brian, but knowing you, it's probably true. Here's, pardon? Well, that's right, but why? <laughs> well, <laughs> the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and that's why they were sad, you see, and the Pharisees did. Um, the, the, the two different political groups, just as different as the left wing and the right wing would be today of the Democratic and the Republican parties, the, the Sadducees believed in, in love. It was my pastor friend on that community, on that uh, community board or whatever we were doing that day. If there's love involved in it, that's fine. That was the Sadducees. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were people who deeply believed in obeying the, the law, uh, in obeying all of the commandments. The, some rabbis, <clears throat> if you read, you'll always get a different number, but some of them have uh, 613 different commandments to obey. It was a tough task. If you're a Pharisee and you really believe that, that God's primary mission is to keep all of the commandments, all of the laws, and you start in Genesis and you go through Malachi, uh, you go through Malachi, and you're studying to find all of these rules. It is tough. How much can you carry on a certain day? What do you have to do all of these times? And over time, they begin to think, well, they're not all equal, are they? There must be some commandments that are more important to keep than other commandments. You might be able to relate to this, uh, this thought if you have a teenager at home and one day you, he, has, he or she has chores to do and he, he comes to you and says, well, Dad, you, I have this list, but tell me the most important things on this list. Uh, he, he might be saying without saying it, what do you really want me to do? Or It might even be, Dad, could you prioritize this because I'm not going to do them all. <laughs> and I'd like to find the one that's, that's really important to you that you're not going to take the car away from me. What, what's the minimum I can do without you being unhappy with me? That's the question that this Pharisee, he loves rules, but he's got so many of them. 613 give or take, I suppose, depending on the rabbi. Jesus, that's the question he's answering. Now, again, remember this context. They're in Jerusalem. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees would say if love's involved, then, then let's just live by the spirit of the rules, but not the Pharisees. They are the rule keepers. Which one's most important, Jesus? And he answers, when Jesus begins to answer, he answers in a very surprising way. At least to me, it's a very surprising way. He might have justifiably said, I made the list because I want you to do the list. If I didn't want you to do it, I would have pared it down and I wouldn't have given it to you. Why wouldn't Jesus say this? <clears throat> I gave you a list. It really, as parents, it's what we think when we, we say we want this done and this done and this done. I would like these things done but he doesn't, Jesus doesn't answer that way. 
It's also surprising, or it might be surprising to you, that he answers by connecting all of these commandments. I would have expected, and maybe our first thought would be, if someone says, tell me the, which commandments are most important, tell me the greatest of the commandments, that you would go and you would pick one of the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> and it would even seem right that he would start with the first, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. That that would have been a great one, but he doesn't. What's the most important commandment? He doesn't go to the Ten Commandments. Instead, he goes to Deuteronomy. He goes to Deuteronomy, and he says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And then he moves to Leviticus. And your neighbor as yourself. And in Leviticus, it's Leviticus. You don't need to turn. I can read it for you. Leviticus 19. He says it two different times. Leviticus 19, verse 18, says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then in verse 34, he says this, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What in the world is he doing? What is the greatest commandment? Of course it is love Love God and have no other gods before me. But he doesn't say that, does he? He gives these two things. Love the Lord your God is number one. And love your neighbor as yourself is number one. This guy asks Jesus for a commandment. It would seem singular. And Jesus gives two. Jesus could have said the Deuteronomy passage. And then he could have said hard stop, period. He, he could have said the, the Leviticus passage. The Sadducees would have loved that. But he linked the two together in such a way we're going to see in a moment that they are inseparable. As we read the Scripture, as we read the New Testament, we find the Pharisees were very serious about obeying God and the Bible, the law for them, of course, the Old Testament. But they are seen by others. This is who he's talking to now. He is specifically looking at the Pharisees. Alan, is that thing wandering with me, or is the screen going to be blank? <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> he is very specifically here talking to the law keepers, those who put the highest priority on keeping 613 laws. They're looking for a little bit of a break. But that's what they're, what they're doing. They are seen by people as being harsh and judgmental and critical. People saw the, the Pharisees of the first century in many ways as people might think about us today. It might even mean to us today, if you love the Bible and you love God and you try to follow the Bible, that we tend to treat people as more harsh than Jesus would have treated them. That sometimes we can be judgmental and critical. And as I read what Jesus says is the most important, what's the greatest of the commandments? Number one, B, is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus links those two, loving God and loving people, in a way that you can't tear them apart. 
if you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor, Jesus would say you're meeting the commandments. So if that's true, it brings us to the question, what's law got to do with it? What do the commandments have to do with it? And the answer is, it sounds like many, an answer that, uh, that love uh, would affirm. Look at verse 40 again. This is 22, Matthew 22, 40. Just, we just read, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He is saying this book, and of course looking at them at this time, from Genesis to, Genesis to Malachi, all of this book, all of the commandments that the Pharisees, uh, all, the, all that they loved and tried to keep, all of them are connected to love. In fact, he goes beyond that to say this. If you are loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, then you're keeping the commandments. On this, on those two principles, those two commandments, the greatest, hang all of the law and the prophets. He connects law to love and love to law. Love is always connected to a list of rules, the law, whether you realize it or not. All of us live, all of us live by some kind of set of rules or some kind of set of laws, internal guidance. In the movie The Godfather, Don Vito Corleone, he kills people, he has people kills, killed, he threatens people's lives, he intimidates them. One time he even killed a horse to intimidate a movie producer. However, both the book and the movie, especially the book, go to great pains. They make a major point of wanting you to understand that Don Corleone, the godfather, is a man of his word. He always keeps his promises, you hear throughout the book. If he tells someone he'll do something, his most trusted aides never know of him not doing something he said he would do. He takes great pride in that. His, his family takes great pride in the fact that this man who kills people, has people killed, and kills horses has a code that he lives by. We often want to build a code to have a code that we live by. And yet the Bible has given us that, and it says that the key to that, to that the key to the commandments, is that we love when it says don't commit adultery, why is that? If we link it back to what Jesus said here, it's because adultery hurts people and it is not a loving thing that we would do. When it says don't steal, why? Because I might get caught and I might be embarrassed and my family might be embarrassed and all of that. If we link it back here, if Jesus said, and he did, that all the law in the prophets when we love one another, are fulfilled. We don't steal. Why? Because it hurts other people and shows a lack of love. We don't lie for the same reasons. There are two problems, maybe two kinds of people, when we try to separate and follow God's, God's law. One, uh, one is a problem uh, for people who are more liberal. The other effect affects those who I probably would say, although I don't know most or many of you, is, is like us who are more conservative. 
Um, and maybe when I visit a church every 12 years or so, I shouldn't poke the bear. I don't know. Uh, the problem with the more liberal side, I, <clears throat> a guy I know in town, a pastor I know in town had cancer and was away from his church for, for some time. And I spoke there for probably a year at the Western Reserve Christian Church, a very liberal church who had, uh, wouldn't have believed in the authority of the Bible at all. And one day I was meeting with their board and was asked if there was a, a joint worship service. That's probably the words they used. If the town had a worship service, would I encourage people to attend? And I said, uh, well, it would depend who we're worshiping. If the worship is Jesus, then yes. But if we're worshiping Jesus and Allah or Jesus and Buddha, then no, I wouldn't. And one of the board members said to me, well, they're all the same. And that's the culture around us. Um, one problem for people who hear Jesus say, love God and love your neighbor, is that anything becomes all right, even, even living like that lady and believing that all of the gods are the same, or even like Don Corleone, who, who would say, I'll make my own list of rules. We might think of it with sexuality. God has put boundaries on that, calling for a lifelong relationship that he describes as becoming one flesh. And then society around us makes up our own rules, ever-changing rules, that if you, are love, if you really love someone and are committed to them, then to have sex is fine. But the next person says all you need is consent, and the next person says it has to be more than one date. God, God has set rules that even when we don't understand it, he says are, are the most loving way for us to live. But those of us who are more conservative also have a, have a problem sometimes. And that's that we can, uh, we can find God's law apart from God's love for people, where we become hard. Uh, it's the tendency many of us would fight against, I think. The Pharisees said, you just obey all of the laws. And they were thought of as Pharisees. And we talk of people who, who live like that today as Pharisees. Probably if a Pharisee exists today, they would love Bible studies and know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they'd be involved in Sunday school and midweek service and a small group too, which are all good things. And often the problem that the Pharisee struggles with, if you ask them, does God love you? They would say yes. And then if you would say why, the answer becomes, because I try so hard. I work to serve him. I do these things. I love the Bible. I try to obey him the best I can. And people often bounce between fear and pride and questioning, and it's difficult. A sign can be when bad things happen in your life, and you begin to think, what did I do to displease God? How did, uh, what have I done or what have I, what have I not done? Or the thought might be, God, why are you doing this to me? I think I've been faithful. And what, what the internal thought can become is, the God, is that God loves me because of the way I serve him. Or you might think you're doing well in obeying him, and it causes us to look negatively on other people who are struggling. It causes us to look negative 
when John the Baptist, who should know better, says, are you the one? When Peter treats one group of people different than another group of people because of his reputation. The man said to Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, if you will love God and if you will love people, Leviticus defines it a little bit for us in those two passages that I pointed out to you. If you will love God and if you will love people, you will fulfill the law and the prophets. So what's Jesus come, uh, got to do with it? Why is Jesus uh, answering this and why is it recorded for us in the scripture? Jesus came with the good news that God loves you deeply. And he would say, I, Jesus would say, I am the evidence of that. And our response will be to love him with all of our heart, soul, I want to say heart, soul, strength, and mind, but that's not the way Deuteronomy says it, to love him completely and my neighbor is myself. And if we had another, if this was part A of the sermon, maybe we would ask who is our neighbor and we would see Jesus with the good Samaritan. To love God and my neighbor is myself. And Jesus said, do that and you will be keeping the commandments. This allows me to have the love of God in my life and hopefully flowing out of me to other people. People I may not agree with, people I might not even particularly like, but that if God will show me that kind of love and his grace, when I am really loved, not because of what I do or who I am, not even because of my efforts, simply that God made the decision to love me and love me deeply. It is confidence and it is peace. It takes away the striving to do more and more to keep 613 commandments. No, I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor. And Jesus would say, I have shown my love to you, for you, he would say, by dying for you. He would say to us, I have shown you my great love by dying for you. He would want us to taste that kind of grace. And again, grace is just, I always think of it as, he is nice to me, not because he has to be. He just wants to be nice to me. He forgives me. That's, what my, that's how I see grace. He's nice to me when he didn't have to be. He allows me to swim in grace. If I don't do well, he gives grace. He would want, want to make you to love God, to long to love him with all of your heart and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself, simply as a response to what he's done for us. Not, not as a, a big duty to us. He loves me deeply. I experience forgiveness. Today and this year, this most unusual year, I hope that you can dive into the love of God. He loves you with such a passion um, that he gives you grace for when you don't do well. Let everything about you learn to love him with all of your heart and soul and mind. Let grace flow out of you so that your neighbors experience this kind of, this kind of love from the one who loved you. Let me pray for you.